Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, Kate Webster, Julia Martha Thomas, and the Barnes mystery. But first, your true crime headlines. Derek Chauvin, the police officer who was charged with second-degree murder in the death of George Floyd, made his first court appearance last Friday. The former Minneapolis police officer was charged with murder after pressing his knee into the neck of George Floyd for more than eight minutes. Mr. Chauvin, a white 19-year police veteran, appeared in court in person last week for the first time since the second-degree murder charges were filed against him. Previous hearings had been conducted by video conference. Prosecutors indicated in the court filings that they intended to describe Mr. Chauvin's earlier arrest record as evidence of a pattern of excessive force, not an isolated incident. In one such instance, the prosecutor said Mr. Chauvin used a neck restraint while arresting a juvenile and pinned him to the floor. Another time, he restrained a woman by putting his knee on her neck while she lay on the ground, just as he had done to George Floyd. And in 2019, the prosecutor said Mr. Chauvin kicked an intoxicated man, then used a neck restraint on him until the man went unconscious. Mr. Chauvin's lawyer, Eric J. Nelson, alleged that George Floyd was overdosing on fentanyl and that Mr. Chauvin intended to point the blame away from himself for the death of Mr. Floyd and toward the two rookie officers on the scene. The case is expected to go to trial in 2021. Two are dead and six are in serious condition following a shooting early Sunday morning near the Rutgers University campus in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Police have released a video of the shooting that unfolded early Sunday outside of a house party, just two blocks from the south side of the Rutgers University campus. At 1.18 a.m., the footage shows a car pulling up to the house and four men jumping out with guns aimed at the roughly 100 people in attendance. The four men opened fire and in just 15 seconds unloaded more than two dozen shots, killing two men, 28-year-old Lionel McCauley and 23-year-old Anthony Robinson, as well as injuring six others. They then got back into the car and fled the scene. The event taking place at the house was a birthday party for one of the men who was killed. So far, no arrests have been made. A Pennsylvania man and his fiancée have been charged with homicide and child endangerment after authorities discovered that the couple had imprisoned the man's 12-year-old son in a darkened room for years, beating him and starving him to death while treating their other children well. In May, 12-year-old Maxwell Schollenberger was found naked and covered in feces, sprawled across a soiled bed in a room that was also covered in excrement. There were no lights in the boy's room, and the window shades were closed with duct tape. The boy never received medical care, wasn't enrolled in school, and was rarely seen even by his siblings. Metal hooks kept the room locked from the outside. His father, 41-year-old Scott Schollenberger Jr., and his fiancée, 35-year-old Kimberly Marrer, have other children together who appeared to be healthy, well-adjusted, and cared for, received regular medical care, and attended school, according to authorities. Marer told investigators that she had been the caregiver for the child since he was two years old, because his father, quote, 
expressed extreme frustration toward the boy and was afraid of hurting him. The couple are being held without bail. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, Kate Webster and the Barnes mystery. But first, a quick break. Do you get bored with your workouts? Looking for a way to blow off steam but can't go to the gym? If you're looking for a workout that keeps you engaged, learning, excited, and motivated, you've got to check out Fight Camp. Fight Camp brings the boxing gym to your living room. They provide all the gear you need, the best freestanding punching bag on the market, great boxing gloves, quick hand wraps, and their unique punch tracking sensors that show you real-time progress and stats on any iOS device. And of course, top trainers. Everything you need to get great workouts in without ever going outside. Plus, Fight Camp even offers kids gloves because it's designed to be enjoyed by the whole family. Boxing is one of the best and most fun ways to get in shape. And if you're new to boxing like me, their 12-week starter program will teach you the fundamentals of boxing while you get a great workout every time. Learn from six highly qualified trainers, ranging from a pro MMA fighter and a mother of two to a kickboxing world champion. And access over 400 different workouts for all fitness levels and skills, with four new ones every week. Try Fight Camp workouts for free. Just download the Fight Camp app and select the workout of your choice. It's a great way to test your trainer. Plus, you can buy now and pay later when you use a firm financing. You can get your gym right away and make easy monthly payments, and the gym is yours to keep at the end of your term. If you're approved for financing, you'll pay less than $100 a month, which is cheaper than almost every boxing gym. Fight Camp offers flexible financing for as low as zero APR. And right now, as a limited time offer, you can try Fight Camp for 30 days with their money-back guarantee. Just go to joinfightcamp.com murder. That's right, try Fight Camp for 30 days. And if you don't like it, they'll refund your money. Train like a fighter and turn your sweat into results. To try Fight Camp for 30 days, just go to joinfightcamp.com slash murder. That's joinfightcamp.com slash murder. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? In difficult times, it can be difficult to cope. So if you've been thinking about talking to someone, it's time to get better help. Better help is not a crisis line. And it's not self-help. BetterHelp is professional counseling done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so that you can start communicating in under 48 hours. BetterHelp has a broad range of expertise available and the service is available for clients worldwide. Just log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so that you don't ever have to sit in a waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. 
BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Just visit their website and read the testimonials posted daily, like this one, written by a BetterHelp user after counseling with Barbara Muller-Ackerman. Barbara is wonderful. She is so compassionate and understanding and extremely knowledgeable. Every time I speak with her, I feel like 1,000 pounds have been lifted off of me. And since I started seeing her, things have been great and I'm making changes. I feel that she truly cares and that's very important for me in a therapist. Visit betterhelp.com slash murderminute. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And now Murder Minute listeners get 10% off your first month when you visit betterhelp.com slash murderminute. That's betterhelp.com slash murderminute. If you ever read the news, you know that there are a lot of reasons to lose sleep in 2020. Don't let your old mattress be one of them. Give yourself an upgrade this year with Helix. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Everybody's unique and Helix knows that, so they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. I always sleep hot. And even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size folks. And if you're a couple, just take the quiz together and the quiz will match you to the best compromise for both of you. One less thing to fight about while you're quarantined together. I took the Helix quiz and was matched with the Goldilocks of mattresses, the Dusk because I needed a medium firmless for my back pain that was not too hard and not too soft. The Dusk's body contouring reacts to my shape and takes all the pressure off while I toss and turn all night so that I don't wake up needing a chiropractor. This is the best mattress that I have ever slept on. And they have amazing cooling pillows so that you can stay cool even as the world burns around you. When you finish your quiz and order your mattress, your new Helix bed will be delivered directly to your door within 10 business days. Never go to the mattress store again. Get the mattress that was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Go to helixsleep.com slash murderminute. Take their two minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. With their 10-year warranty, you'll get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. But you'll love it. And now for Murder Minute listeners, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash murderminute. Welcome back to Murder Minute. In 1879, a childless widow in her 50s, Julia Martha Thomas, lived at two Mayfield cottages on Park Road in the quiet, respectable neighborhood of Richmond, London. 
Julia was a former school teacher who had been twice widowed and lived alone in her two-story semi-detached villa. She wasn't particularly rich, but she was known for always being well-dressed and was described by neighbors as small and eccentric with an excitable temperament and a concern for keeping up the appearance of wealth. Julia's insistence on employing a live-in maid was likely more to do with status than practicality. But Julia's frequent travel and her reputation for being a harsh employer meant that she had a difficult time finding and keeping servants. Her latest was 30-year-old Kate Webster. Born Catherine Lawler in Ireland around 1849, Kate would later be described by the Daily Telegraph as, quote, a tall, strongly made woman about five feet five inches in height, with sallow and much freckled complexion, and large, prominent teeth. Kate began her troubled life of crime as a child when she was imprisoned for theft in Wexford in December of 1864 at age 15. In 1867, she came to England, where by 1868, she was sentenced to four years of penal servitude for larceny in Liverpool. When Kate was released in 1872, she moved to London. There, Kate Webster became a maid, but also supported herself through prostitution and lodge house robbery. Renting a different room every few days, Kate stole whatever she could carry and pawned it. Throughout the early 1870s, she spent many days in jail. Then, on April 18, 1874, Kate gave birth to a son, whom she named John W. Webster. The surname Webster, she claimed, came from a sea captain that she had once been married to and had four children with. All of them, according to Kate, died in quick succession. But this account was never verified. The identity of the father of John is unverified as well. At various times, Kate named three different men. One of them, a man named Strong, became her accomplice in further robberies and thefts. Kate later claimed that she was forced into her life of crime, that she had been, quote, forsaken by him and committed crimes for the purpose of supporting myself and child. Kate Webster always kept moving and used numerous aliases around London, including Webb, Gibbs, Gibbons, and Lawler. In May of 1875, Kate was arrested again and convicted of 36 charges of larceny and sentenced to 18 months in Wandsworth Prison. Shortly after her release, she was arrested again in February of 1877 and served another year. While she was imprisoned, she left her son with her friend, Sarah Creese. Sarah worked as a charwoman, a 
part-time house cleaner for a Miss Loader in Richmond. In January of 1879, Kate Webster was back on the streets, and this time she moved to Richmond. When her friend, Miss Crease, fell ill, Kate stood in for her at the Loader's house. Miss Loader was happy with Kate's work, and since she knew that Julia Thomas was looking for a new full-time maid, she recommended her. Miss Loader's referral was evidently good enough for Mrs. Thomas because she made no inquiries into Kate Webster's past. She employed Kate on the spot. Kate's friend, Miss Crease, agreed to look after her son, John, and Kate went to work at Mayfield Cottages. At first, Kate was a model maid, but it wasn't long before Mrs. Thomas became dissatisfied with her work. To her, Kate seemed more interested in drinking at the local pub, The Hole in the Wall, than doing her chores. Their relationship rapidly deteriorated. At first, I thought her a nice old lady. Kate would later tell police. But I found her very trying, and she used to do many things to annoy me during my work. When I had finished my work in my rooms, she used to go over it again after me and point out places where she said I did not clean, showing evidence of a nasty spirit towards me. On the 28th of February, just one month after she was hired, the situation reached a breaking point, and Julia Thomas informed Kate Webster that her services would no longer be required. Julia recorded her decision in her diary. Quote, gave Catherine warning to leave. It would be her last entry. But Kate persuaded her employer to keep her on through the weekend until Sunday, March 2nd. Kate always had Sunday afternoons off as a half day and was then expected to return in time to help Julia prepare for evening church services. But Kate went to the hole in the wall and returned late, delaying Julia's departure and causing an argument. Several members of the congregation would later recall that when Julia arrived at the church, she was, quote, very agitated. She told one of them that she had been delayed by, quote, the neglect of her servant to return home at the proper time and said that Kate had, quote, flown into a terrible passion upon being reprimanded. When Julia Thomas returned home at around 9 p.m., Kate Webster was waiting for her. According to Kate Webster's eventual confession, quote, Mrs. Thomas came in and went upstairs. I went up after her, and we had an argument which ripened into a quarrel. And in the height of my anger and rage, I threw her from the top of the stairs to the ground floor. She had a heavy fall, 
and I became agitated at what had occurred. Lost all control of myself, and to prevent her screaming and getting me into trouble, I caught her by the throat, and in the struggle, she was choked, and I threw her on the floor. The landlady who lived next door would later say that she heard a single thump, like that of a chair falling over, but paid no attention to it at the time. Kate then began disposing of the body by dismembering it and boiling it in the laundry copper and burning the bones in the hearth. I determined to do away with the body as best I could. I chopped the head from the body with the assistance of a razor which I used to cut through the flesh afterwards. I also used the meat saw and the carving knife to cut the body up with. I prepared the copper with water to boil the body to prevent identity. And as soon as I had succeeded in cutting it up, I placed it in the copper and boiled it. I opened the stomach with the carving knife and burned up as much of the parts as I could. The neighbors later said that they had noticed an unusual and unpleasant smell and Kate's activity the following day, but they had attributed it to being wash day. Over the next two days, Kate Webster continued to clean the house and Mrs. Thomas's clothes and kept up appearances for anyone who called. All the while, she was packing the bulk of Julia Thomas's dismembered body into a black bag and a wooden box. Her head and one foot wouldn't fit, so Kate disposed of those separately. On March 4th, Kate traveled to Hammersmith to see her old neighbors, the Porters, whom she hadn't seen for six years. She turned up wearing one of Julia Thomas's silk dresses and carrying the black bag. Kate introduced herself to the Porters as Mrs. Thomas. She told her friends that since she had last seen them, she had married had a child, been widowed, and had been left a house in Richmond by an aunt. She invited Porter and his son to a pub in Barnes, the Oxford and Cambridge Arms, and while the Porters were inside the pub drinking, Kate dumped the black bag into the River Thames. She later did the same with the wooden box. However, the next day, a coal porter named Henry Wheatley noticed a box washed up on the riverbank. He thought it might contain the proceeds of a burglary, a fairly common occurrence. Such bundles still wash up on the shores of the Thames today. He recovered the box and opened it. There inside were human body parts wrapped in brown paper. Wheatley immediately reported his discovery to the police. When they were examined by a doctor, he concluded that they consisted of a woman's torso missing its entrails 
and legs, apart from one foot. Shortly after their discovery, the foot and the ankle were found in Twickenham. But with no head, police had no means to identify the remains. The doctor who examined the remains initially guessed that they belonged to, quote, a young person with very dark hair. Following an inquest on the 10th and the 11th of March, the unidentified remains were ordered to be laid to rest in Barnes Cemetery on March 19th, and the newspapers dubbed the case the Barnes Mystery, speculating that the dismembered body had been used for dissection and anatomical study. As reporters erroneously theorized about the Barnes Mystery, Kate Webster must have felt that she was in the clear. She continued to live at two Mayfield cottages under the assumed identity of Mrs. Thomas. She wore Julia's dresses and conducted business with tradesmen in broad daylight. On March 9th, Kate reached an agreement with John Church, a local publican, to sell off Julia Thomas's furniture and other household goods to furnish his pub, The Rising Sun. But on March 18th, when John Church returned with the removal horse and cart, the neighbors had become suspicious. While it wasn't unusual for her to go out of town, no one had seen Julia Thomas for nearly two weeks. Her next-door neighbor and landlady, Miss Ives, walked outside and asked the delivery men who had ordered them to remove the furniture. Mrs. Thomas, they replied, and gestured to Kate. Kate Webster ran. She boarded a train in Liverpool and fled back to Ireland. When the police arrived at two Mayfield cottages, they discovered a grisly scene of bloodstains, burned finger bones in the hearth, and fatty deposits behind the copper. They also found a letter left behind by Kate Webster indicating that her home address was in Ireland. Scotland Yard put out a wanted notice. And on March 29th, Kate Webster was arrested at her uncle's farm in Ireland and escorted back to England to stand trial. When Kate's uncle heard the charges against her, he refused to take custody of her son, John, and the boy was sent to the workhouse. After the news broke that the barn's mystery had been solved and the gruesome details hit the papers, People traveled from all over England and Ireland to Richmond just to look at Mayfield Cottages. Crowds gathered to look at Kate Webster, too, and jeered at her at nearly every train station as she was transported. On July 2nd, 1879, Kate Webster went on trial at the Old Bailey. The trial drew intense interest in crowds from all levels of society. The case was such a sensation that on the fourth day of the trial, the Crown Prince of Sweden, the future King Gustav V, turned up to watch the proceedings. 
The trial lasted just six days. Kate attempted to pin the blame on John Church and her former neighbor Porter, but both men had alibis and were cleared of any involvement. Kate pleaded not guilty, and her defense attempted to build its case on her gender. They highlighted Kate's devotion to her son and cited her maternal love for him as a reason why she could not have been capable of such a murder. It may seem laughable as a defense today, but the Victorians believed that women were too moral, passive, and frail to commit such a physically violent crime. When they did murder, it was most often by poison and usually in self-defense against abusive husbands. But between her criminal history and the evidence against her, Kate's seemed an open and shut case. In fact, the verdict seemed so certain that Madame Tussauds had already begun producing a wax sculpture of Kate Webster for their Chamber of Horrors before the trial had even reached its conclusion. The final nail appeared to be driven into Kate's coffin when a bonnet maker named Maria Durden testified that Kate Webster had visited her a week before the murder and had said that she was going to sell some property, jewelry, and a house that her aunt had left her. The jury interpreted this as premeditation, and after deliberating for a little over an hour, delivered their verdict. Guilty. But just before the judge was about to pass his sentence, Kate made one final attempt to save her neck. She claimed that she was pregnant. The Law Times reported that, quote, Upon this, a scene of uncertainty, if not of confusion, ensued, certainly not altogether in harmony with the solemnity of the occasion. The court was forced to invoke an archaic legal mechanism known as a jury of matrons to determine whether she was in fact quick with child. The judge commented that, quote, after 32 years in the profession, he was never at an inquiry of this sort. Twelve women were sworn in, along with a surgeon named Bond, and they escorted Kate Webster into a private room where they examined her. A few minutes later, the jury of matrons returned their verdict. Not quick with child. And at that, Kate Webster was sentenced to hang. It was only on July 28, 1879, the night before her execution, that Kate would finally confess to the murder. She was hanged the following morning at Wandsworth Prison at 9 a.m., where the executioner, William Marwood, used his newly developed long drop hanging technique to cause instantaneous death. When the black flag was raised over the prison to indicate that the death sentence had been carried out, the crowd cheered. Kate Webster was buried 
in an unmarked grave in one of the prison's exercise yards. The day after the execution, an auction of Julia Thomas's property drew another large crowd. Church ended up with Julia Thomas's furniture after all, along with her pocket watch and the knife that Kate used to dismember her. The copper she was boiled in sold for five shillings. Many others who were unable to purchase a piece of the property took pebbles and twigs from the garden as souvenirs. The house itself sat empty for 20 years, and even when it was purchased in 1897, according to the occupant, servants were reluctant to work there. Kate Webster's waxwork remained on display at Madame Tussaud's Chamber of Horrors well into the 20th century. But as decades passed, the crime faded from memory. It would be 131 years before Kate Webster and Julia Thomas would be back in the news. In 1952, David Attenborough and his wife Jane purchased a house situated between the former Mayfield cottages, which still stand today, and the Hole in the Wall pub. After the pub closed in 2007, the property was purchased by Attenborough. On October 22, 2010, workmen excavating at the rear of the old pub uncovered a woman's skull. It was immediately speculated that the skull was the missing head of Julia Martha Thomas. It had been buried beneath a 40-year-old foundation covering what was once the pub's stables. The skull had fracture marks consistent with Kate Webster's account of throwing Julia Thomas down the stairs and was found to have low collagen levels consistent with it being boiled. In July of 2011, after an investigation and carbon dating, the coroner concluded that the skull was indeed that of Julia Martha Thomas. Her skull was interred at an unmarked grave at Richmond Cemetery on August 24, 2011. The coroner recorded a verdict of unlawful killing and a cause of death as asphyxiation and a head injury, superseding the open verdict originally recorded in 1879 when her remains were pulled from the Thames. The police called the outcome, quote, a good example of how good old-fashioned detective work, historical records, and technological advances came together to solve the Barnes mystery. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.